Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 162. Today's episode is all about body image resilience. While we were doing our PhDs, it became very clear to us that the real problem with women's body image is self-objectification. When you are self-objectifying, if you're living through the eyes of onlookers, that is no way to live. It is soul-sucking. It is life-sucking. And yet we were seeing that a lot of the body-positive movement was actually continuing to center beauty and bodies as a woman's foremost value. It was still what we'd seen from old school media, you know, from broadcast media and stupid magazines that only feature women looking one very particular way. But instead it was just expanding the notions of who gets that objectification. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, you want to know basically the best way to give back to your favorite podcasts? actually go to the iTunes app and leave a five-star review. Reviews are scientifically proven to make me love you more. That's just how it is. I love you when you leave me a review. You sit in my heart for days at a time. No, but seriously, they really help the growth of the show. They're probably the number one thing that you can do besides supporting my sponsors or joining the membership. So it's an easy, free way to give back to a podcast you love. And if you do leave me a review, send it to me at mindlovemelissa on Instagram, and I'll send you a free meditation track. Today, I want to share a review that tickled my soul from V Mejia. She said, this is my favorite podcast. I get something from every single episode. I resonate with Melissa's view on everything she talks about, and I enjoy every guest she brings in. I have to say that at the moment, this is my favorite podcast. As soon as a new episode is released, I listen to it right away. I'm also subscribed to her daily morning mind love, which starts my day with inspiration. Thank you, Melissa, for all of your work. Well, thank you so much for leaving that review. It totally made my day. If you're anything like me, most of your life, you've had a love-hate relationship with your body. Actually, if you're a woman, there's a good chance that there's not a lot of love in that love-hate relationship, which is so sad. I have some crazy stats to share. Approximately 91% of women are unhappy with their bodies and resort to dieting to achieve their ideal body shape. And unfortunately, only 5% of women naturally possess the body type that's shown to us in the media. So 95% of us are working towards a lost cause. 58% of college-aged girls feel pressured to be a certain weight. I'm actually surprised that that's not higher, to be honest. More than a third of people who admit to normal dieting will merge into pathological dieting. And about a quarter of those will suffer from a partial or full-on eating disorder. 
There was also a large-scale glamour survey done. So yeah, not super scientific, but still telling. Well, their research found that on average, women have 13 negative body thoughts daily, nearly one for every waking hour. And a disturbing number of women confess to having 35, 50, or even 100 hateful thoughts about their own shapes each day. Think about that. That's most of your day being consumed by how much you don't like the way you look. And here's one last tidbit. Studies show that the more reality television a young girl watches, the more likely she is to find appearance important. And I don't know about you, but I fully plan on watching The Bachelorette tomorrow, so this is a real problem. Well, first of all, it is not your fault if you resonate with some of the negatives of these studies. Most of us do. Our society has placed a ton of importance on looks, especially directed towards women. It actually takes conscious work to deprogram the messages we've been receiving basically our entire lives. And even if you do manage to shelter yourself or your kids from some of these messages, other people are already programmed to this way of thought, so it still makes its way toward us. My cousin and I were watching Home Alone 2 the other day, and we were like, wow, everyone in this family is very normal looking. Like, they look like real people, not supermodels. And she mentioned it's crazy because nowadays, shows for young adults often show like a 13-year-old with caked-on glamour makeup, the perfect figure, dressed to the nines. So we were feeling grateful that at least we grew up in an era where some people on TV were still quite a bit normal. Think about it. Full house, family matters, home improvement. Well, except for JTT, because I definitely had his poster on my wall. Well, anyways, our obsessions, or I should say our disappointment with our bodies, isn't healthy. It creates a disordered relationship with food or with exercise. But most dangerous, it creates a disordered relationship with ourselves. Looking back, I had completely cut off my relationship with my body. Like my mind and my body were two completely separate entities. To me, my body was something that needed to submit, and if it didn't, I'd deprive it or I'd force it into submission. I used to wrap my stomach with plastic wrap and go on these long runs, like I somehow expected to melt myself skinny, which is crazy and also really bad for the environment because that is a lot of plastic. But here's the thing. When we don't really value our bodies, there are often more repercussions than just our relationships with diet and exercise. I didn't know how to feel good in my body. I was also kind of promiscuous. And the reasons sort of oscillated between not valuing or respecting my body while somehow simultaneously believing that all of my value came from my body. It was like a really screwed up paradox that just left me confused and misguided. Ironically, I probably have the healthiest relationship with my body right now, now that I'm seven months pregnant, <laughs> bigger than I've ever been, which is something I really didn't expect. I was actually kind of afraid of it coming in. But it makes sense because right now I'm seeing and feeling firsthand the miracle that my body really is. I have placed a different kind of value. It's doing something different than I ever expected it to do before. Don't get me wrong, I still have my days and my moments because I can also at times feel like my body isn't even mine anymore and I'm nauseous and constipated and gassy and bloated and all the sexy things, but somehow under these conditions, there have also been massive positive shifts. My body isn't just meant to be aesthetically pleasing, it's meant to perform. 
It's also the vehicle that gets us all through our lives. And with all that we've put it through, it still does its best to move with us. So in today's episode, we're going to explore an alternate vision for your relationship with your body. And our guest has a really unique perspective because as an identical twin, she and her sister basically saw themselves from the outside in all the time with constant comparison and a sense of competition. So we'll be speaking with Dr. Lexi Kite today. Both she and her identical twin, Lindsay, have PhDs and are co-founders of the nonprofit Beauty Redefined and experts in the work of body image resilience. They reach millions worldwide via research-backed online education, and their new book, More Than a Body, was actually just released today. So three key things we will learn are the difference between body image resilience and body positivity, how self-objectification destroys our identities and what to do about it, and how to create a healthy relationship with your body, including powerful mantras and being more media savvy. But before we dive in, do you wish you had a reminder each day that you are worth more than just your body? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power lists to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Lexi Kite to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So... Tell me how you started focusing so much of your attention on body image and all that goes with it, especially what I found really fascinating while going through your book was your perspective on being a twin and how that affected your body image. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The twin thing definitely served us for good and for bad. I guess that's not serving. It was kind of a detriment, but I can talk about both. I'm speaking very much for Lindsay too. um, When I say all of this, this has been a journey that we've been on together in a very twin-like way. But when we were growing up, you know, we were identical twins. And from a personal standpoint, we were very much compared constantly. And any twin or any close sibling relationship knows that experience of just having people eye us up and down and look back and forth to figure out what made us different. And it was always about our looks, obviously. And one of us was always the loser. I was the one that my teeth were more crooked. I had a mole on my nose. Lindsay's face was rounder than mine. You know, just all of these things. And so we were kind of pitted against each other very early on. That really fueled our competitive natures in many ways. But I remember a very twin-like experience that um, Lindsay and I both had where we were 18. We were in our first year of college and we had both enrolled in this course that was required for journalism majors. But we didn't want to be such twins. We wanted to be different. Even though we were both journalists, we decided to take different classes, different sections of the same class so we wouldn't have to be together in class. So I remember going to that class 
And it was about media literacy, like the ability to understand why media messages are created the way they are, especially how women are presented and represented in media. Um, I remember sitting in that class and my heart pounded faster. I had goosebumps. I felt the power of what we were learning, that I had been impacted by so many profit-driven messages that were begging me to believe that my body was my source of power, my source, um, how I would find love and success, that the way I looked defined my health and happiness. I went home. I told Lindsay in our shared dorm room, oh my gosh, I went to this class. It was amazing. It feels like the beginning of something. Like we have work to do here. And Lindsay said, shut up. I had the exact same experience today. And we laughed. And it was the beginning of, I mean, that was in 2004. So we're going on more years than I can count of, of this journey, which then, you know, rolled on into 10 years of college studying media literacy and body image. And our twin-like nature has kind of fueled us, you know, life ebbs and flows. There's times when I've had a baby or Lindsay has switched careers or I was getting married. Lindsay was moving across the country. And at times where one of us wasn't able to commit so fully to our nonprofit, Beauty Redefined, and to all the work we're doing, the other one could kind of lead the way. And in that way, things have been really good. And I can also tell you on the body image front, we know longer compare ourselves to each other in the way we once did or we do but it's fleeting you know it doesn't mean what it used to there's not so much value tied up into it so it's been an interesting ride but we're very happy with where we're at today when i was going through your book i resonated with so much of it just the little Good. diary entries that you guys yeah. found were just so much fun to read and i'm like i'm so glad i didn't have a diary it would probably yeah. be so depressing <laughs> i can most of my memories of being by myself is so interesting. I am at those moments on my own, focusing on what I look like. I remember waking up every morning and the first thing I would do is go check to see if I looked skinnier than I did the night before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really even understand much for a while, like for the first few years of high school about what I was eating and how that affected it. And I definitely was already kind of emotional eating at times. Yeah. And so I would eat like a lot of candy and not understand why I was getting yeah. chubby. And it's so interesting because I've tied this back. When I first, the heaviest I've ever been was actually my sophomore year in high school. And yeah. it was also right after I was sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. And right after I was sexually assaulted, I went and got the depo shot as a form of birth control to kind of protect myself. And I always blamed that. But now looking back, I'm wondering how much of it had to do with detaching from my body in a way where yeah. as a form of maybe protection. Absolutely. I mean, food is one of the number one ways we cope and try to control our lives, especially going through puberty, getting assaulted, all of the comments that come up about our bodies as we're growing into adults, into women. Oh my goodness, I can only imagine. I wouldn't discount the fact that you were also just becoming an adult and the average person gains 40 pounds during that process of puberty. But oh, the pain you must have experienced in your body. In many ways, we hear from lots of people about this, especially women, 
who have been sexually assaulted, when your body has been used as a weapon against you, you disassociate from it in every way you can. You hate your body. And so you don't take care of yourself. You do whatever you can just to cope in very mindless ways by eating, by binging, by restricting, you know, by over-exercising, by being completely sedentary and only zoning out through TV and your phone or whatever else. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that had a large part to do with you trying to cope with a terrible thing that happened to you. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. There was a quote that you guys quoted in your book that just resonated. I ended up sending it to a couple of my female friends, but uh, it's by someone named John Berger uh, Mm -hmm. in The Ways of Seeing. And it says, men act and women appear. Men look at women. Women watch themselves being looked at. This determines not only most relations between men and women, but also the relation of women to themselves. The surveyor of a woman in herself is male. The surveyed female then she turns herself into an object. And I was just thinking about that. And it reminds me of, I sent that to my friend Brett and she sent me back a quote that she's like, oh my gosh, that hits home. And there was some quote that's something like, from the time they're young, men are taught that their bodies are a tool to use to impact their environment. Whereas women are given the message that their bodies are a project to be improved upon. And it's funny because those, both of those quotes just hit home. And I'm like, yes, yeah. like, when did I, when did I start viewing my body as like this thing that I constantly needed to sculpt, that I needed to like be into submission, that changed yes. the way I ate and what, how free would that have been at that age? What innocence was lost? You know, there's like so Absolutely. many questions that go into that. Mm-hmm. Yes, what you're describing is this process that was at the beginning of my master's, maybe my PhD research, when I learned about this process that is so normal to so many people's lives, especially girls and women, it's called self-objectification, 
We live in a world that objectifies us from the outside. It happens in a million different ways, through media, through culture. It happens when you are watching a TV show and the camera tilts up and down the woman's body and zooms in on her parts when the dialogue revolves around what she looks like. It happens in magazines where GQ's man of the year is in a full suit and tie and GQ's woman of the year is nude. It happens when you go home for Thanksgiving and your mom doesn't say anything about your partner's body or your brother's body, but your mom or your aunt talks about your body. Oh, you look like you've lost a little bit of weight. I'm so jealous. Tell me how. And on and on. When we live in a world that from the time we are just little defines us by our bodies and tells us that our bodies are who we are, of course, we're going to internalize that. We internalize it through this concept of self-objectification, which means that you are living and you are picturing yourself living. Your identity is literally doubled. This happens to most girls and women throughout um, the course of their lives. To some of us, this is such a regular occurrence that when I explain it, you will nod your head because this is your life every day. If I can give you an example of self-objectification yeah. for a typical person look like this. Um, let's say you are walking down the street on just a typical day. Instead of thinking about the weather, instead of thinking about what you need to do that day, instead of you know thinking about who you need to be, who you need to call or whatever, you have this mental task list in your head that says, oh, I bet those people behind me um, are looking at my butt and I need to keep my pants pulled up above my muffin top. I need to keep this outfit adjusted how it was when I left the house and I liked it today. Oh, I wish I would have washed my hair. I bet my hair is so greasy. I bet that cashier was looking at how disgusting my hair is and on and on and on. You have this task list that tells you to constantly be monitoring your body because we have been told that as we monitor our bodies, as we see every part of us as a project in need of fixing, that's how we'll gain love, respect, success, health. Now, those are lies. They'll send us down a pathway where we will forever be chasing after mirages. But in a world that tells us where our value comes from and gives us this lie constantly, it's no wonder most all of us are self-objectifying our days away. You know what I realized recently too? So I have not been really getting ready much because I'm pregnant yeah. and it's just like too hard. Yeah. And so I realized, I realized this a few years ago, but it came back into my head recently that I noticed when I have no problem going out completely not ready, right? Which awesome. is, I mean, kind of, because <laughs> when I go out in like just yoga pants, hair dirty, no makeup, I noticed that I feel invisible. And so mm -hmm. it doesn't bother mm -hmm. me. I don't necessarily assume people are judging me or they're like looking at me funny. I just assume they're not looking at me. Yeah. Whereas when I get dolled up, I kind of expect that they are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't know which is sadder, assuming that people are judging me or assuming that, you know, I'm just invisible. Nobody sees me because I don't look good enough. Oh my gosh. I mean, you are explaining this phenomenon that you're illustrating this in a really interesting way because self-objectification doesn't just happen when you don't like your body. It also happens when you're really feeling yourself. It happens when a portion of your attention is being devoted to how you think other people are looking at you or what you think other people are thinking when they see you. And that happens when you feel good and you're dolled up because, you know, if you're, if you're like wearing clothing that's like tighter or more revealing, or you've got your hair done and your makeup done, you're, you're having to maintain those things as you go throughout your day. You know, you have to check on your makeup. You have to check on your clothes, make sure things are adjusted, make sure nothing's falling out. And you're still thinking about your body. 
Now, on the other hand, when you're going out and you're not dolled up and you're just assuming people aren't looking at you, it's because you've internalized the belief that in order to be valued, to be loved, to be respected, to be noticed, you got to look good. You have to upkeep your appearance. That is not something men believe. Men leave the house many times exactly the way they woke up that day. And they don't feel less respected or less able to be seen or heard because of their bodies. But that's a lie that we have internalized and that we enforce upon ourselves in lots of ways. I know we definitely enforce it upon ourselves. And and even it's like these little... When I think back, like, when did this start? For some Mm -hmm. reason, I'm brought back to one moment in middle school when this, my little stepbrother's friend called me fat, like Mm -hmm. in passing, just to be mean. And that sticks out. And and when I think about it, it almost seems too trivial. But I've learned enough now Mm -hmm. that it's often those little trivial comments that kind of slice us the deepest. Absolutely. But what the problem also seems to be is, I do believe there's been evidence in my experience that these beliefs are sort of reinforced by society. Not always, probably not to the extreme in my head, but I don't know. I've seen women get opportunities Mm -hmm. because of the way they look and, Mm -hmm. and men not have to deal with a lot of that. So how do we start to even address it if we're not the only ones that are enforcing that? It's such a good question. And you're right. There is some power in beauty. There's power in your white privilege. There's power in your heterosexuality. You know, we all carry around this privilege that doesn't exempt you from body shame. It doesn't exempt you from constant self-objectification and even objectification, including violent objectification from the outside world. But the truth is there is some power in, in what we call beauty work, in getting ready for the day, in maintaining a low weight, in cosmetic procedures, in whatever that thing is. The problem is that if each of us individually notice and can see that there is a real problem with women's oppression, with women's systemic oppression because of objectification, but we continue to play by the rules that lends us a little bit more power, even though that power is fleeting, even though it can be taken away as freely as it is given, because you're going to get older, you're going to gain weight, you're going to, you know, we age, we, there are so many things outside of our control, we get sick, we get injured, there are so many ways that our power that comes from beauty can be snatched away from us as quickly as it is given to us, because it is not internal to us, it has to be given to us. So if every one of us, you know, if we can say, oh my gosh, I know, like the world sucks for women, it sucks for little girls growing up that have to maintain and work toward these oppressive and unattainable beauty ideals. But the truth is, I get a little bit of power and self-confidence. I get, you know, heads turn when I walk down the street. I, uh, people respect me a little bit more or, you know, I get more attention. So I have to keep this up. Then you are making sure that the next generation has to follow suit, that they will experience every bit of pain and maybe more that you did, that all your sisters did, that everybody in the world experiences because of objectification and body shame and self-objectification. So one thing we posit in the book is that if you can see your privilege, if you can see that, sure, maybe you experience body shame, maybe you don't like your flabby skin or your your saggy boobs, or you don't like that you've gained weight or, you know, whatever the thing is, 
but you can also acknowledge that you do have a lot of privilege that exists outside of that. Do you have a loving partner that will love you even if you gain some weight? Do you have a career where you don't have to chemically straighten your hair and wear a weave like so many black women have to do in order to keep their jobs? Can you fit comfortably in clothing sold at most stores? Can you walk into a store and get clothing? If so, you have some serious privilege and you can use that privilege to push back on the oppression all girls and women are facing. I do that in my own life. You know, I'm heavier than I've ever been and I'm happier than I've ever been. You know, in my life, if you would have told me 10 years ago, if you would have told me my weight and that alone, I would have thought, oh my gosh, oh, I bet I'm miserable. Like, oh, that sucks so bad. I hope I'm working on, you know, losing weight or whatever the thing is. But if you would have told me 10 years ago, you weigh this much, you have the most loving and supportive, wonderful partner in the whole world. You have two babies that you would die for. They are so incredible. You have a career that is going places. You are helping to change the world one woman at a time. I would say, okay, you know, maybe I can do this. And I'm doing this all in a body that is bigger than the whole world has told me I could have and be happy. And I am very happy. And so I'm going to continue to push back on this culture of objectification. I do it in little and big ways. I do it by not talking about people's bodies at all for good or bad. I do it by getting off the yo-yo diet train I was on my entire life. I've stopped dieting, even though every day it creeps back in for just a minute when I'm thinking about what to eat, when I'm, you know, I glance in the mirror and I see that I've gained weight or whatever the thing is, but I push back on it. And that gives me a new form of power, a power that allows me to help people know they are more than their body. They are more than their parts, that they can find happiness and power and value outside of just constantly chasing the mirage of unattainable beauty, beauty ideals. I know that's true for me. I know that's true for all of us, especially those of us who have the privilege to be able to push back and not experience the devastating consequences of somebody who would lose their job or lose their housing or, you know, whatever the thing might be. Right. And, and it is so unattainable, even when it is attainable, because mm -hmm. one thing that I experienced is that, I mean, I suffered from bulimia for about a decade. Yeah. I also was on medication that inhibited my appetite. So I was on Adderall for years mm -hmm. and it got to a point where I remember thinking, well, I can't stop either of these things because I'll lose my body. And that was for some reason what I was valuing the most. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I ended up healing from both of those things individually. And I went to visit my mom and I remember feeling so good about my body. There was like some, for some reason, I actually was like at my weight that I had always wanted to be. And I wasn't doing these things anymore, which was a very freeing thing for me. I thought at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what happened. It was like a fluke. That is not supposed to be my set weight. It was probably like all the healing, the detoxing, whatever yeah. was happening. But my mom said to me, she's just like, you don't, you look too skinny. And there was something about that mm -hmm that just set me off into a spiral and I immediately started to gain weight. I immediately mm -hmm. started to have the thoughts before, which it's like, if you would have told me that years before, I would have been like, yeah, I look too skinny. And the, But there's just something yeah. about commenting on my body at all 
Oh, it yeah. doesn't really ever feel good because even if you're like, oh, you look amazing. I'm like, well, what, what did you think of me before? <laughs> you exactly. Know? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're nailing it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard. And sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself. And it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month. And their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MindLove. Just go to Indeed.com slash MindLove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MindLove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is something that we've been talking about, like, especially on social media, on Instagram for years, that it used to piss people off when we would talk about the fact that it is dangerous and harmful to people to comment on their weight, even when you think you're giving them a compliment. When you're commenting on weight loss, but you don't know how or why they lost weight, cut it out. You have no idea what people are experiencing or how that compliment that you think you're giving can trigger them in really terrible ways. You know, we've gotten, we talk about this in the book a lot. We've gotten 
thousands and thousands of emails and comments from women who say that they were complimented the most on their bodies and paid the most positive attention to when they were dying of cancer, when they were battling a serious eating disorder, when they were depressed and sick and couldn't keep food down. And yet that is when even people who knew what they were going through would say, but at least you look amazing. Oh my gosh. I kind of wish I was dealing with bulimia right now. Those things are terrible, but they show us that in this world, we value the appearance of women more than women themselves. And that is a dehumanizing, dangerous, objectifying world none of us deserve to live in. Right. And so then it brings the question, because when I look back on the times that I thought I was doing the best before Mm -hmm. I had really started to heal my mind about all of it, it was when I was somehow engaging in something or my body was doing something that wasn't sustainable. Yep. And so I had what I thought was a positive body image because my body finally fit what I was trying to get it to do, which Mm -hmm. again, wasn't sustainable. So what is a positive body image? So it's a great question because this is one that a lot of people get wrong, including well-meaning people, including, you know, body positive activists that have a million followers. A lot of people think that feeling good about your body, having positive body image, they think that means you love how you look that you feel confident, that you feel like you can just go out there and live your life and not worry about how you look and that that is positive body image. But that's not positive body image. That's purely feeling good about the outside of your body. Positive body image isn't loving how you look. It's believing and knowing that you are more than how you look. For so many of us, the ways we have been taught to feel better about ourselves, the viral videos, the most amazing speakers say something along the lines of, oh girl, oh, you are so beautiful just the way you are. If you had any idea how beautiful you were, flaws and all, you would have the confidence to change the world. You need to work on believing your beauty. And we're here to tell you, Sure, we want you to feel beautiful, of course, but we want you to know you are more than beautiful. That if you believe you can attain positive body image just by fitting certain ideals or just by getting engagement on your on your Instagram or just by getting more likes and follows or compliments or attention from, you know, people you're interested in, that's not positive body image. That is so fleeting. It's unattainable. Positive body image is believing that you are more. It's having a relationship with your body, not just in the way it appears, but in how you experience your body, in what you can do, in how you feel, in who you are beyond how you look to other people. Because you're more. You're more than a body. That's such a good explanation of it because I have seen, there's the critics of the body positive movement out there. And some people who are saying like, well, now we're showcasing body images that, or body sizes that aren't healthy. We're glorifying something that's not healthy. And I've never really known, like I can see both sides of it, but at the same time, I'm I'm like, I don't feel the need to ever say anything like that out loud. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. We are actually, we write in the book about this kind of saga. Um, While we were doing our PhDs, it became very clear to us that the real problem with women's body image is self-objectification. When you are self-objectifying, if you're living um, through the eyes of onlookers, 
that is no way to live. It is soul sucking. It is life sucking. And yet we were seeing that a lot of the body positive movement was actually continuing to center beauty and bodies as a woman's foremost value. And that, you know, that was just recentering objectification, but just expanding the boundaries of who, you know, deserves to be objectified in some ways. It was still what we'd seen from old school media, you know, from broadcast media and stupid magazines that only feature women looking one very particular way. But instead, it was just expanding the notions of who gets that objectification. And that, Lindsay and I were afraid to talk about because it makes people mad. It's definitely, you know, bodies get attention on Instagram and on social media, like faces and bodies, that content, that is what gets engagement. And so we understand the value of putting more and different bodies out there. Like that's good. Expanding the notions of who gets to be seen and represented. That is so good. And we will always fight for that. But we're at a place, especially in social media, not in mainstream media, but definitely in social media, where we do see a wider range of representation of women and men and bodies. And that is really good. But if we stop there, if we stop at just seeing more women in their underwear that deserve to be there, that get to be there, that are getting tons of engagement and tons of, you know, that are helping other people broaden their realities and their expectations for women, that's good. But when we're still just there at bodies, 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 beauty, 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 and just expanding the definition of who gets to be beautiful, we're not really getting anywhere because men don't have to earn their confidence by showing pics in speedos. You know, they don't have to earn their confidence by finally bearing it all on the beach. They just get to be for the most part. And we want, we believe that real progress will be shown in social media and beyond when women can live and inhabit a variety of different bodies and not owe anyone their health, not have to talk about their health because we don't ask that of men in bigger bodies. We don't say, oh gosh, well, I hope he's healthy while he's out there being a stand-up comedian or I hope he's healthy while he's out there being the star of that TV sitcom. But we, we ask that of women. So we believe that progress will really be made when women can just show up and just be without having to point out or apologize for their bodies or their flaws. When they can just be oh, won't that be an amazing thing? Like that is really the epitome of being more than a body. Right. And I've noticed that women always like to have an answer to that question too. So the amount of times it's like, well, what's your secret? And JLo's like, I drink mm-hmm. water. And then somebody else is like, I swear by this smoothie. And so mm-hmm. then all these women are chasing like this one miracle thing, like these diet teas and all this Ugh. stuff because somebody needed to have an answer to the question when, <laughs> when totally. really it's like, well, I mean, in order to keep this shape, I do absolutely all of the things. <laughs> Sometimes yes. it's miserable, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it's just, It's so sad that we get to see so few women represented positively in media that fit any other size or shape or color than the very white, very young, very thin, but with curves in all the right places ideals. You know, like we already get to see so few women represented positively that fit any other sort of body shape or size or 
or ethnicity or on and on. When we do, of course, then they become like these body positive, like icons, you know, all of a sudden, even if they're not there because they, you know, are into body positivity or because they're trying to like be a model of fat acceptance, they just are living in their bodies. Then we put them on this pedestal, you know, and then for every other woman, you know, every woman that already fits these ideals, we don't get to hear them talk honestly about what it takes for them to get there, that their entire career and life is centered upon their body and their beauty. And it takes a whole village to get there. Like if we could hear that reality, maybe we would feel less need to focus so much time and effort chasing these ideals that for the average person, will truly never be in reach. Plus, even the the crisis of identity when you start to age, because those things are are fleeting. Even if you have that image for so long, like it's not going to last forever. So you might as well start detaching now. But I wanted to touch on the three paths that you found that most women take in response to their body image. They either sink into shame, they try to fix their bodies, or they hide their bodies. Can you elaborate on those for a minute? Yeah, the third one, like the worst one is sinking deeper into shame. It's through like coping mechanisms like alcohol, drugs, even prescription drugs, um, disordered eating, all the ways we cope in ways that do not serve us at all, that but that like let us be numb for a minute. So it feels like like we're doing okay, but in the end, we feel even worse off than before. And then that second reaction that so many of us um, come up against when we face like a body image struggle is wanting to hide or fix. It's you cling to your comfort zone, even though it's deeply uncomfortable, it's all you know. So you do whatever you can to hide your body, like not even just literally by covering up your body more, but really by sitting out, like by hiding yourself, by not even going to the grocery store, if you don't feel like you're done up for the day, by not going to the gym because you feel too fat or you don't have the right workout clothes, by not going up for that promotion or a leadership position or starting that new, you know, side gig, because you want to start it when you look better, you know, like those are things that research tells us and real life experience makes very clear that we do. Like women hold themselves back from every opportunity in the world because we fear what other people will think when they look at us. Like we literally police ourselves against our worst fears of what we think someone else might think when they look at us. Like we live in our heads in this very anxiety inducing, shame driven way. And it's never going to serve us. Oh my gosh. The hiding your body really resonated for me. I mean, they all did. Sinking into shame. I, first of all, drank too much. I became bulimic. I did all the party drugs. I did try to fix my body. I got a boob job at one point, which I wish I never got. I got, I was yo-yo dieting, whatever. But some reason, I don't know why the, the hiding your body kind of hit an emotional chord because mm-hmm. I realized a few years back that on the days that I feel like I have a don't have body positivity or like I'm not mm-hmm. proud of that my I'm like a pound more than I want to be or something like that. Yeah. I noticed that throughout my whole life I would contract my abdomen in. It was almost like I would slunch or slouch. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Whereas otherwise it's like, you know, you can walk out standing tall, but that also pushes out your belly. And yeah. I noticed this one day at a party with friends when I was like, I'm not moving around as much. And it's so counter 
productive because it's like, well, yeah. I'm like wanting to, I mean, the best thing to do if you're, you're feeling bad about your body is to like reconnect with it. Yeah. To move. And when you shut it off like that, I just remember feeling like, wow, I really have shut down my body because at that oh. point I had been on the healing journey. I just wasn't there yet. And so mm -hmm. I was noticing things or being more aware of things that I wasn't able to see from that perspective before. Yeah. And so I was just like sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, like this is one of those moments that you're retreating inward. You're yes. not moving. You, you don't even feel your body. You're completely in your head. Like you're turning oh. it off. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was such a major turning point for me though, having that awareness into oh, like what I'm going to do next time. And, and when I'm feeling mm -hmm. ashamed of my body, like I'm going to go use it. I'm going to remember why I love it. I'm going to do some yoga or dance yeah. around. Oh, I love that. Yes. You're articulating this thing that like is a main portion of our book, which is how do we help people get out of the prison of self-objectification? The prison that just asks us to adorn ourselves and stay looking inward instead of looking outward. Because you're right. When we're stuck inside ourselves, when we're stuck in our own heads, in our own worst fears of what other people might be thinking when they see us, we can't connect with anybody, not ourselves, our higher selves, not with anybody else in our lives. And so the key here is what you experienced. It's to be able to call that out, to name it when you're experiencing it. When you feel yourself not moving around at the party, when you feel yourself not wanting to go out or be as extroverted as you usually are, or reach out to that person because you're worried about what your skin looks like, whatever the thing is, you now have the power to call it out, to tell yourself what you're doing, to shine a light on it. This is self-objectification. This does not serve me. I have more to do. I have more to contribute and I deserve more for my life, my joy, my happiness. And at that point, you can choose a new path. And in our book, body image resilience is that path. It's being able to rise in the face of your pain, not just in spite of all the crap that you've dealt with in your life, not just in spite of illness, pain, the comments people have made about your bodies, the gossiping or bullying or eating disorder, whatever it is. But because of that stuff, like we can turn that awful stuff we have experienced that we will inevitably continue to experience on its head and make it work for us instead of against us. Like if I can get personal for a minute, that's why Lindsay and I do what we do. We never would have gone to 10 years of college to get our PhDs. We never would have put ourselves out there in this way for so many years talking about body image and being feminists on the internet. If we didn't know we had work to do because we had experienced the pain and shame personally. And we've also experienced the absolute joy of resilience in the face of it. I'm grateful for my shame. I'm grateful for every bit of pain and shame and self-objectification I have faced in my life, including those little, you know, 13-year-old Lexi journals that I read and I write in the book because they led me down a path that is so much better than anything I ever could have imagined. That pain has given me so much purpose in my life and Lindsay too. We never would have written this book and had opportunities to speak to people like you and share this work with the world if that pain was invisible to us, you know? I know what, what girls and women and way too many boys and men have experienced, and I know how to help them become more, to know 
the freedom of being able to live in a body that will never fit all the ideals we've been sold. And it doesn't matter that we are more, we're more than every one of these, these lies that keep us small. I truly believe that. And I'm grateful for my pain. I hope that we can all get to a point where we can see our pain and not just swallow it as a normal part of, you know, what it takes to be a woman, what it takes to live in this life, but instead see it, call it out and use it as a stepping stone instead of the stumbling block. Like we've used it as a million times before. Right. And one thing I like to remind myself is you're not exempt from pain because you have the perfect body or you're not exempt from struggle because you're beautiful. You're beautiful anyways, but like even the model-esque on the cover of magazines, the amount of women that I know that have that body that I'm like, man, that's the body I was going for in my twenties. And they still don't see it themselves because we have these messages And we make a habit of being dissatisfied, which is why so many times when I was chasing my perfect body, I would get there and then it would suddenly be two more pounds or I'd notice a different flaw. And so it's like, it's not like you get there and you're like, okay, this is it. Now I'm set. (laughs) Then you've got to maintain it. You're going to notice everything else. And so starting to transform that mindset into what can I be grateful for in my body now? What do I love mm-hmm. about my body now? How is my body serving me now? It's, it's like the same practice that you do with any other gratitude practice. You might Absolutely. be like, oh, I want this car. Like once I get that car, I'll be happy. And then you get it and it's fleeting. Like that's a mindset. It's the mindset of always wanting something to be different. And you have to Amen. shift that if you want to find the gratitude for your life. Oh my gosh. Amen. And this is the part where we plug our mantra that, I mean, it's changed my own life. It's um, changed the lives of so many. It's the subtitle of our book. Your body is an instrument, not an ornament. That paradigm shift of telling yourself that and truly believing it and embodying it will change your life. Your body is an instrument for your use, for your experience, for your ability to serve and live and do and be. It is not an ornament. It is not what you have been sold. It is not there to be decorative. You do not earn love through being decorative. You don't earn, you don't have to earn love in any way. You are, you are more. And when you can see your body as an instrument, everything changes. The reasons you exercise change. The reason you um, eat changes. Everything changes when you can see yourself as as something instrumental, when you embody yourself, instead of slipping outside of yourself to evaluate yourself from the outside, it is truly a game changer. And it will help you feel the endorphins of living and moving and being not because those endorphins don't come from looking down at the scale. They don't come from fitting into the size that you've been told um, you should be wearing. They don't come from even the fleeting compliments about your body. The endorphins come from using your body as the gift and instrument it is. And this doesn't discount the fact that people throughout their lives experience pain in their bodies, sometimes chronic pain, that people's bodies don't always work the way they want them to. This mantra can be used at any stage of life you're in. When I was pregnant and I couldn't move my body or after I had my baby and I was in a ton of pain because um, birth was difficult. 
<laughs> and I don't want to scare you. <laughs> but <laughs> it was difficult for up. me. <laughs> I know. It was fine. I have the best baby in the whole world now. And I'm so grateful. But the mantra I used was my body is an instrument, not an ornament. It wasn't an instrument because I could go run a marathon. It was an instrument because it was doing what it needed to do. Even though it took a long time to heal, my body was freaking amazing. It did not look the way that I, that I had been sold. It should look after having a baby, but holy crap, my body is an instrument and yours is too. Your body is your voice. It is your lungs breathing. It is your hands. It is your ability to communicate, to sing, to create art. Your body is an instrument in every single way you can imagine every way that allows you to experience this world and reach out to others and help other people, you know, live and see themselves as more. Your body is an instrument for those reasons. So what if a woman is having an exceptionally hard time, maybe has dealt with an eating disorder or just really negative uh, body image for a lot of her life? Do you have any practices to kind of get out of a mind funk. I, I love that mantra. But what if she needs a little something more to actually connect with her body? Good question. I mean, most, we would argue that most women um, have probably experienced disordered eating in their lives. Maybe not, uh, they can't be clinically diagnosed as having an eating disorder, but most women have experienced disordered eating. Um, I would when it comes to eating, I would suggest that you look into an intuitive eating framework. Intuitive eating could really change your life. It is difficult and it is worth it. When you grow up controlling your food intake through restriction and the inevitable binging that comes with it, you have a very disordered relationship with food and your body and your life sucks because of it. It is not fun to go out with friends, to eat at the holidays, to live day to day when you are so fixated on your, on your body, how many calories you're consuming, counting your macros, whatever the thing is. It's unsustainable long-term because dieting always leads to binging. That's just what happens. So I'd encourage you to look into an intuitive eating mindset that doesn't do what you fear it will do. You will not just gain a million pounds and not be able to move and you've just eaten yourself into oblivion. No, it helps you get rid of that restriction mindset that leads to the binging. And sure, you might eat more than you planned on. You might eat more than you've been told you should, but you can get to a place where you, where you eat in more moderate and mindful ways. And it's a real game changer. Also, in terms of using our mantra, my body is an instrument, not an ornament for your body and your physical activity, I would suggest that for many of us, we have been told that exercise is punishment and that we should be eating to make up for, you know, the food we ate earlier in the day or to, you know, burn off a few extra calories as punishment for what we, you know, ate this weekend or whatever the thing is. When you look at exercise and movement as punishment, it's also unsustainable. You know, research shows that women will give up a workout routine if they don't lose weight or their bodies don't change in the ways they thought it should. Men don't do that, but women do that. It's this crazy phenomenon where we feel too fat to exercise. Um, literally in quotes, that's a, that's a thing. Um, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I do too. And yet we need to reframe what it means to have a body as an instrument. 
when you can start to use movement as a way not to change your body, but to experience your life more fully, to, to be more healthy, you know, to have a more healthy mindset um, and your mental health, you know, to use movement as a way to experience those endorphins, to practice gratitude for your body. It's a beautiful thing. Like in my personal life, over the course of this pandemic that we're like, how eight months into at this point, I bought a treadmill early on um, because I knew that I needed to start moving my body. Like I just had a baby. I was finally healing from the pain of it all like three months out. And I knew I just needed to start moving. And I was working from home and I was sitting in my bed all day on my laptop and I needed to move. So I made a goal that I would, I do not weigh myself. I have not weighed myself in years. And I made a goal that I would not weigh myself when I started working out, that I would do my best not to do the body checking that comes with, do these pants fit again? Do my clothes fit any differently? That I would just work out for all the other benefits. And I can tell you, I've been doing it consistently. I hike on my treadmill. I put it up to the highest incline and I go for like 45 minutes or an hour. I do it intuitively. I don't do it as punishment. I do it regardless of what I've eaten or haven't eaten. It has been amazing for my mental health, for my um, body gratitude. It's been amazing. So I highly encourage you, throw out the scale. Try to wear clothing that, that doesn't make you constantly body checking. So like tight clothing, like pants where you're buttoning them up. Like if it's not stretchy, maybe don't wear it. If it doesn't have some give in it, maybe don't wear it. It's too easy to just body monitor your life away when you're wearing clothing that is that you can always body check yourself with. Um, those are just a few suggestions. We have a million more, of course, in the book, but hopefully that's a start, right? <laughs> it really is. And I can attest to both of those things. Because uh, like I said, like hiding my body was almost like hiding my body from myself. Like that feeling too fat to work out was a real thing. It's like, well, I don't feel my best. Like I just felt lethargic. And there's something about both of that and intuitive eating that it was almost like I could feel this energetic disconnect from like the neck down. It was my head versus my body. And so uh, that intuitive eating was more than just learning how to regulate my food after binging and purging for a decade. It was learning how to ask my body what it needed which ended up helping me so much mm-hmm. more in the future with all sorts of things because my body is constantly speaking to me. It's how I tune into my intuition. It's how yeah. I, I it's how I feel my emotions. And so there's so much that's lost when we when we don't have a healthy relationship there. So thank You're you right. so much for everything that you shared today. For listeners that want to learn more about you and your sister's work and beauty redefined, where's the best place that they can connect with you online? Mm-hmm. I mean, the first plug is by our book. It is our heart and soul. It's the culmination of many, many years of research. It's called More Than a Body by Lexi and Lindsay Kite. You can find it anywhere books are sold. We just recorded the audio book. Um, so it will be available by the time you hear this too in our own voices, which is really fun. Um, you can find us on Instagram at beauty underscore redefined. Our website is morethanabody.org. Um, You can find us on Facebook at Beauty Redefined, and we would love to connect with you. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 162. So this week, your challenge is to really become aware of your relationship with your body. Try to take a notepad and see how many negative thoughts about your own body come up and write them down. 
I know it sounds a little bit intense, but there is something so powerful about actually seeing concretely all of the thoughts that you let run rampant in your mind. As just a thought, we sometimes think that it's not that big of a deal. It was a fleeting moment and I changed my mind pretty quickly or I rerouted pretty quickly, but it was still there. And these words have meaning and they have feeling and they vibrate through your entire body. And so when you see how many times those fleeting thoughts went through your mind, you might start to realize the power that it has over your subconscious, how you feel about yourself, how you put yourself out there, what you're willing to do in your body. Remember, everything's connected. So the more that we can shed light on our own shadows, the more awareness, the more intention we're able to bring to every area of our lives. So if this episode was helpful, please consider sharing it. You can take a screenshot and tag MindLoveMelissa on Instagram. Or if you know of someone in particular that could use this type of message, which I think we all do, just tap the share button and send it right to them. If you love Mind Love and haven't yet left a review, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's the most helpful platform because that's where a lot of the rankings occur. So if you rank well on Apple Podcasts, you tend to do well on all the other podcast platforms. If you've already left a review, just know that I love you more than everybody else. For daily positive reminders, well, every weekday, I should say, positive reminders of your own beauty, worth, and power to remind you that you are more than a body, sign up for the Morning Mind Love at mindlove.com right on the homepage or text the word morning to 33777. And finally, just a reminder to treat your bodies well this New Year's. I know sometimes it's worth the party, but you can always detox the next day, get some movement in, replenish or nourish yourself. And as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 